ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode number 30 of season two. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. I know some things that you don't, I've done things that you won't. There's nothing like a trail of blood to find your way back home. I was waiting for my horse, walking next with so much rush. It took a podcast today. Uh, today I wanted to talk, again, so a little theology, dying to self, that's what that song's about, and, and really living, right? Spiritual living, living out the spiritual, living out of your heart life is, is dying to the, the fleshy life of the self, right? Saving that life is not good. Living in the spirit is, is life, right? Uh, that's the theology part. Uh, the the science part I'm going to talk about is from Yale University, who has put together what's called Yale's Stress, Self-Control, and Addiction Consortium, where they've brought in experts from all over the United States and abroad um, to study self-control, addiction, and some of the roots of that in cognitive science is dealing with stress. And I wanted to approach this from not just a scientific level, but a theological level as well. Because we can glean more truth from looking at both. And the funny thing is, is that whether you like it or not, still today, 2012, the most successful program for helping addicts is still the 12-step program. And that's going to deal with theology. It's going to say in the first three steps, right, talking about the fact that there is a God and you're not him, right? There's a higher power outside of you, that, that life isn't just about you and, and your little life, right? I heard a, a pastor uh, recently talking about this, that that was one of his conversion verses, was just Genesis 1-1, you know, that there is a God, that he created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And he's like, wow, I'm not God, that there is a higher power, there is a ruling factor over this world, and it's not me. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of good news in that. That song, that bumper that I played, by the way, is by a band called 6AM. The song is called Life is Beautiful, and I love that lyric that says, It took a funeral to make me feel alive. And that's a big one. It's submitting to that fact that I am not God, and that if I just give in to this life... Here, check this out. Here's a few more verses on, on dying to self. Uh, Luke 17, and these are red letter, right? This is the words of Jesus. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. 
John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, what does that mean? As a recovering addict, I remember hearing this dying to self metaphor and really not realizing what it means. I, I, they were talking about it in this 12-step class, and they didn't put it in a theological context. And, and I'm kind of a theological thinker. Uh, I believe that we do have a relationship with God, you know, whether you love him, hate him, whether you like it or not, that God is real and that he's after you, right? Whether you believe that or not, um, just stay with me, all right? Because there's another way that I I like to communicate. I'm kind of an emotional communicator as well. I understand things emotionally. And I think that rock and roll has really been a, a helper in my life and in my teen years. It's kind of a a Psalms-like way to to identify with hurt. And there's a song that I heard that totally um, fits in with this kind of dying-to-self metaphor, all right? There is a voice in your head that's going to tell you that life is in your addiction, that this is too hard, that, you know, killing this thing in you is not life, and that if you just give in to your addiction, that's really life, all right? That's life in this world part of theology. Theology means the study of God. What, what a big paradigm shift for me was the fact that God's not after my begrudging submission, right? John 10, 10. Uh, Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus comes to bring life. Um, he's not after, he's not a killjoy. He's not trying to destroy all your fun that there's a liar in your brain that says that dark part of you, that thing that says, oh, there's nothing to resist in life, just go grab whatever you need for yourself, that thing is the disease. It's not alcohol, it's not drugs, all right? It's not sex, it's not food, it's not, right, pick your addiction, right? <laughs> For me, music has been a helper, you know, God made music and even negative music, right? There's songs of lament are all over the Psalms. They're the bulk of the Psalms. Um, Hard rock has helped me see in some regard what the real sickness is. Reminds me of that song by Disturbed, you know, get down with the sickness. Have you heard that song? Um, For time reasons, I'm not going to play it. Uh, but, y- you know, wah, right? <laughs> Get down with a sickness. Um, the lyrics to that song go like this. Check this out. Drowning deep in my sea of loathing, broken your servant I kneel. Will you give it to me? It seems that what's left of my human side is slowly changing in me. Will you give it to me? Those two lines, will you give it to me? It's almost like, are you... Are you expecting God to beat you with a stick? Because I remember feeling like that. Like God's going to bust me down. Like God's going to, right? God's after me. God's like the principal of my high school. God's going to break my kneecaps or something. That's not the God of the Bible, right? The Old Testament God of the Bible, yes. Living in the wake of Jesus and of grace, it's a, it's a different theology, Um God sees us through a whole new set of shades, so to speak. Uh, Anyway, going into more of this, um, 
the lyrics here. Looking at my own reflection when suddenly it changes, violently it changes. Oh no, there's no turning back now. You've woken up the demon in me. And the chorus is, get up, come on, get down with a sickness. Open up your hate and let it flow into me. Get up and get down with the sickness. You mother, get up, come on, get down with the sickness. This is the self we need to die to right? The devil is the one that comes to, uh, theologically, this is the Bible, this is in Revelations, where the devil comes to accuse us day and night. It's the devil who's pointing out all the dirty things we do. It's the devil who's constantly trying to get us to feel worldly guilt that leads to death. Um, 2 Corinthians 7.10 it's, it's godly regret that leads to repentance that leads to life change that leads to conviction it's worldly guilt that leads to death and destruction and it's, it's dying to the self that just wants to get down with your addiction that just wants to give up that just wants to keep returning back to what feels normal right it's self-control and perseverance in self-control is getting a new normal it's reacting to life in a different way emotionally and spiritually and it's wrapping your mind and your spirit and your heart around a new sense of normal it's not returning back to the sickness don't get down with the sickness get down with life all right it's a lot more fun i'll be honest with you it's a lot more fun anyway I went off a little bit there, but uh, I love you guys, and this is part of why I want to talk about some of the self-control in science from from Yale. Uh, I talk a lot about self-control. I have a lot of different things that I talk about in the early shows when it comes to thought life, but uh, anyway, let's not get ahead of myself. Uh, Dr. Roy Ballmeister, I think I'm saying that right, is a social psychologist from Florida State. And some of his material I wanted to talk about today because it's it's really just it's just cool, right? Talking about taking on ourselves, right? Talking about taking on putting to death the sickness that's in us, and and r- realizing that we can reach for self-control, that we can walk in a new spirit. The Bible says that one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. A couple of quotes by a guy named John Frame about theology. And one thing I want you to realize about theology, about the study of God, and that's what we're doing here, right? Part of me understanding my addiction was part of the study of God. Um, John Frame said that theology is the application of God's word by persons to all areas of human life. I thought that was a cool description of it. All theology should be practical for our lives and not dogmatic. So, in breaking a little dogma, I'm going to talk about Dr. Roy, because I have a hard time pronouncing his last name, Uh, the social psychologist from Florida State. Here's some of his work, and here's a guy, like his job, he gets up every morning, he's got like more degrees than than Fahrenheit, right? He goes to work and he studies self-control. That's what this guy does. Very sharp guy, very brilliant guy. He studies stress and self-control. I used to end every show with um, life is 20% the things that happen to you and 80% how you react to it. Dr. Roy talks about stress 
being the catalyst for depression, anxiety, and addictive behavior. That it's how much stress that we have in our lives and how we react to that stress and how we deal with that, how we cope with that stress that really helps in our recovery from addictive behavior, from compulsive relapse, from changing attitudes, right? So I took some notes on his talk and some things that really stood out to me was he was talking about self-control being um, a discipline. Self-control is, is like a limited resource. It's a, it's a kind of strength. Paul in the Bible talks about running the race, right? He does these metaphors with athletics that were running a race towards the finish line. And there's an endurance thing going on, right? Like if you're lifting a weight and you do that for a while, you're building muscle. And self-control, Dr. Roy said, is much like building a muscle. And so our cognitive mind is much like our muscular structure in our body. Like we learn in, in our lives personal hygiene, okay? Like your parents taught you personal hygiene more than likely. You get up, you brush your teeth. We don't necessarily want to do those things. Brushing our teeth, taking a shower, um, washing our hair, uh, watching after our bodies because if we don't, the people at work or the people around us, right, are going to be like, you stink and you're ugly, right? Your teeth are falling out. That's painful. So, again, personal hygiene is just kind of a way of showing this development, developmental, right, of, of the muscular structure of our self-control. The fact that we get up and we brush our teeth shows some... Um, of that muscle, right? Of building and developing this limited resource of, of, of self-control. Now, there's some people that will go nuts, right? If you're going out to a, a date or you're on a date or something or you're going out to some function where you have to look like super sharp, you're going to go over the top a little bit. But you're going to reach a certain point. Like you can't just develop your body, right? It, it, all, that's another form of addiction kind of a, a binge behavior, right? Um, binging is another thing that he talked about, and, and that's where we fall into a certain behavior because it, it feels well for us to exercise that part of our self-control when we don't have self-control in other areas. It gives us an emotional sense of control. And this is a part of, of emotional intelligence as well, right? We feel good when we're, we're walking in some sense of self-control. When we can beat that thing in us that wants us to just stay in bed or just, you know, constantly give into our addictions, it's that kind of cognitive, emotional quit thing, right? Perseverance is, is a big chunk of this and sometimes it's the little things, again, that Dr. Roy said, another point that he brought up, that help us be mindful of this exercise. Um, he talked about, he's an older gentleman, right? He talked about growing up, you know, in the, in the 50s and 60s and how, you know, sit up straight was something that teachers would say, you know, like in the South, right? Sit up straight, watch your mouth. You know, watch what you say. Watch your cuss words around other people. Don't just 
talk so frankly and rudely around every, you know, having a certain sense of that cognitively is good for us. And he says, we've kind of lost that, like manners and ethics, um, little parts of exercising the, this muscle, like just, just sitting up straight or watching your mouth when you're around certain people, learning to, to grow in these areas help in the big areas as well. We just kind of start to develop a habit of understanding that there are things in life that we must resist and that resisting those things are good for us, right? A few things he said about relapse. Um, a lot of, most relapses happen in the evening when we're tired. Um, at Mars Hill, we do this thing called redemption groups, and we have, right, the, there's things that we're very susceptible to relapse or very susceptible to falling into that sinful attitude, which is hungry, lonely, or tired. But Dr. Roy says that, you know, hungry and lo lonely also have to deal with being tired with our uh, our sleep patterns. Um, Dr. Jeremy Wolf at MIT I listened to a bunch of lectures on psychology from him and he had some brilliant things to say about sleep. Um, he said that there's no such thing as the person who can just function with low amounts of sleep. He says you can lie to yourself and say that but the human mind needs about eight hours of sleep. If you're younger in your 20s you have a better endurance for low sleep but even, even when you're younger, it's not good for you to not get enough sleep. There's some cool research on sleep as far as, uh, like food. You know, you have to eat. You have to eat something in order to live, right? If you don't eat, you'll die. If you don't drink something, you'll die. If you don't sleep, your body will force you to sleep eventually. Like, your body will just shut down. There's something that clicks off also when we fall asleep in our brain that shuts our muscles down. Like, if you've ever seen a cat sleeping, you know, this is a one of those funny YouTube or America's Funniest Videos kind of a thing where cats will just fall off something. It's because they fell asleep and all of a sudden, boom, their motor function just shuts down. And, and that's the same with us. When we fall asleep, all our muscles go relaxed. It's also sleep as a way for our bodies to deal with stress. Now, speaking to sex addicts, I, I realize here that I would have to interject the fact that some of you masturbate um, as a result of, of having a hard time sleeping. And I would say that watching your cognitive thought life, the fact that you have maybe built that habit of using a sexual outlet or using an orgasm as a way to fall asleep at night um, is not good for you, all right? There's other ways, there's other things you can do, there's exercise you can do during the day um, that can help you sleep. There's medications, um, not all for all these medications, but some of them can help you through a season. Get on a medication for a certain amount of time, but don't live on it, all right? I don't want you to be addicted to Ambien, for example. Um, but there are medications out there to help with sleep, but sleep is very important. And in research, dealing with addiction, it, has hel it helps people in relapse. It helps people 
not relapse as much when they're getting more sleep. But part of it is also being aware, being self-aware and mindful of the fact that, hey, I'm tired and the sickness is trying to get to me. I'm trying, you know, I'm tempted to go in this direction and part of it is just because I'm tired. See, that's repentance. It's being self-aware. It's being aware of your flesh's appetites and saying no to it. Again, denying your life, denying your flesh, dying to self when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're lonely, when you're hungry. Another part of this, I talk about a lot of cognitive disciplines that you can do, and I use different analogies in being mindful of the thoughts that enter into our mind. Uh, the stuff that spring up from somewhere and we, you know, it enters our, our consciousness and we have a choice to entertain those thoughts, which will lead to relapse, right? Or kick those thoughts out. Um, in the early shows, I have, uh, again, I, I use the analogy of like the theater analogy. Like you pay for a ticket to go into a theater to watch a movie. Um, a movie, every 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 piece of media you see, whether it's a news story, whether it's a commercial, whether it's a movie, there's a message that's being preached, okay? That's true. It's a song you hear. <laughs> this is the holidays, man. It's going to be Black Friday soon, and that you're going to hear a whole ton of messages and sermons on, right? So being mindful of that is, is watching your thought life. Now, if your mind is like a theater, realize that there's stuff getting in without paying the ticket for entry, right? If you don't want to be a sex addict, then watch which thoughts are entering into your theater and learn how to get good at kicking those thoughts out. Um, Ephesians 6, the, the Apostle Paul talks about this metaphor of thought, your thought life and, and the sins that enter into the mind. Like, not every thought comes from you. I, I firmly believe that. Your spiritual life, your inner spiritual self is going to be inundated with like fiery arrows and that's the analogy that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 like this fiery dart hits the ground this fire starts to spread and you have the choice to snuff that thing out or not right if we let that fire spread it's going to engulf our house again lead to relapse but if we start to realize those thoughts as they hit the ground flaming fiery thoughts, right? We can start to get good at, like Dr. Roy says, exercising that muscle of self-control. And this takes time. And there's endurance, right? Self-control, again, it has a breaking point, and, and relapse is sometimes part of the deal. For 99% of you, you're going to relapse. It's getting back up and persevering and it, realizing that today is not your whole life. It's only one day and you get to get back up and fight this thing again. Um, I'll close the show with this. Again, uh, thank you, Yale, for putting your free stuff on the internet which where people can study and, and finding this stuff out. I'm very grateful for that. Thanksgiving is a, is a point of uh, a time where we celebrate giving thanks. Here in the United States, it's it's Thursday. It's uh, a couple of days from when I'm recording this now. And gratitude is a heart-level exercise also. 
being mindful and being thankful of what we have. You know, we're so ungrateful a lot of times. Um, I know people in our church where uh, I, I know one couple who lost a, a child, 22 years old, slipped on the ice last um, winter in, in January, it slipped and hit his head, went into a coma. Yeah, they just took him off life support because he was basically a vegetable. That guy was just walking around living his life and, and, and boom. I mean, it, it life, your whole life can change in a phone call, right? Somebody could come knock on the door and you're, right? Like we're, we're not totally grateful for, for some of the stuff that we have. I'm just being mindful of that. The fact that we live in 2012, the fact that we have the things we have, the fact that we have our loved ones, the fact that we get to live, right? That we get to live, that we get to put to death what's, what's dark in us, that we get to resist some parts of life that we need to resist because we get to live and we get to love and we get to laugh. Listen, if you got love in this world, whether it's a kid or a spouse or a parent or a, a friend, you got something huge, all right? You got something that's worth holding on with both hands and with all you got. God loves you and he's doing that with you, all right? John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave. And I just feel led to say this, that there's some of you out there listening that need to do some business with God. That apologizing for the sin in your life is, is, is a big part of it. But apologizing first to God because you've sinned against him first. This is part of the healing process. This is the good news. You know, being born again is not some weird religious thing where you go to some facility and there's a big ceremony. And no, it's simply realizing that I'm wrong, that I need a savior, that I'm not my own savior, that God is my savior, that he loves me. And if you don't believe that God loves you, man, over and over again in the Bible, that's the huge biggest message in the scripture. And just man, I pray that you just get alone sometime during this Thanksgiving season and do some business with God. Just talk to him. Submit your heart to him, your stubborn, jacked up heart. And come to a knowledge of saving faith, saving grace. You're alive. One truth that I've learned to say as a prayer, lifting it up, when the lies start rushing into my brain like a megaphone, out of the sickness, when the sickness thoughts come to me, I realize this truth. I'm alive, and life is beautiful. I love you guys. I'm going to end the show right there. It took a funeral to make me feel alive. Until next time, again, my name is Russ. My email address is russ at asi247.org. You want to talk about it, send me an email. Uh, asi247.org is the website. Again, uh, donations, man, this thing runs on donations. It's getting very low on, on right paying the monthly bill for the 
the fees, the hosting fees, and if you feel led, man, I pray that you can do that this this holiday season. Um, I, I certainly appreciate it. Love you guys. Again, here's some 6 a.m. Until next time. Bye. Just open your eyes. Just open your eyes and see that life is beautiful.